welcome to Define the Relationship podcast, a podcast where we explore the relationship we have with the Bible and ourselves. I'm one of your hosts, Darlene Enstick. And I'm the other host, Ted Enstick. And as you can tell from our names, we belong together. I just defined the relationship. Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, episode number 31 on Define the Relationship podcast. I'm Darlene. I'm here with... Ted. (laughs) We're a dynamic duo, sometimes more dynamic than others. Yeah, we've been quite a dynamic duo over the last 16 months. We've basically been uh, attached. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) More than normal married couples. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and just contextually, we are on the verge of our second vaccine shot. So I think we're seeing the possibilities of not being quite as attached. I mean, we love being attached, but uh, it would be good to just, you know. (laughs) Anyway, um, welcome back. And we've been exploring all kinds of avenues of um, reconstruction uh, recently because we spent a lot of time in, in past episodes on, on the deconstruction of various faith themes and, uh, focusing a lot on how we read the Bible and how, how that's been deconstructed. And now we're kind of starting to pick up on, um, okay, how do we like, how do we think about reconstructing and is there hope for reconstruction? Yeah. And a lot of these, a lot of these topics are coming directly out of emails or comments or questions that came when we asked the question, what are, you know, your top three areas of faith that you feel needs, um, reconstruction, reimagining. And, uh, so we're trying to take those questions seriously. And, uh, so we last, time we we picked up on the theme of um good goodness what how do we think about in every society really the people within it ask what does it mean to live well live a good life if is god good um what is a good society a good community and um so we explored various questions and themes along that route. And today we're sort of, um, continuing with that, but we've entitled this podcast. It's all good, which I think (laughs) that phrase gets used quite a bit. And in my experience, um, Ted, you're going to explore a lot of the content of this, but in my experience, the, the, it's all good often gets said after a bunch of bad things, things that aren't good. <clears throat> yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, I, I really liked, I really liked our conversation about what does it mean to be a good person? And, um, I mean, it kind of grew out of this simple question, like, can't I just be a good person? Um, and we explore that. And I think, uh, it's, it, it's, it's good to think about, well, if, if goodness is, is good, Goodness is connected to our understanding of God. How does how does goodness become the ultimate reality? How does you know um, 
I don't think anybody has to be convinced that we see much that is bad around us. We can experience it at the personal level, but we see it so much in the society as well. And um, if the good is good, how do we get more of the good? And um, is there some movement towards an ultimate restoration of the good? And so um, there's people often ask questions, and there was a number of you that asked questions about, you know, a final judgment, um, hell, heaven, how, how does that work? What's true? Are those things exist? Are they just metaphors or or um, ideas? Or are they real places? These are the kind of questions that often come up. And they get asked in some form around, you know, if God is ultimately good, is is it good then that that some people, many people, would spend eternity in hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, many of us have had experiences of, of the Christian faith being presented to us in a way that sort of asks us to make a decision and that the decision has ultimate consequences. You know, the, you know, we, many of us would have somebody come to our door even in our community, knock on the door and we'd say, hi, how are, you, how are you doing? And they said, well, I'd like to ask you a question. If you died tonight, would your eternity be safe? Would you be going to heaven or would you be going to hell? Like this is kind of a, a major underpinning of a, a certain approach to faith, which is if you're, not, um, if you're not on board with God, specifically Jesus, then you are in jeopardy that if you died, you'll end up spending your eternity in a very bad place. And people who have made the right choice will be in a very good place, mm-hmm. heaven and hell. And, um, and I mean, that was used um, late night storytelling by camp counselors in a cabin around a fire, looking at the fiery flames and asking, Would you, do you want to spend your eternity living in the fiery flames of hell? Um, you know, kind of manipulative marketing tactics that, you know, some people, some more sensitive people as children, you know, became traumatized by those stories and, uh, and, uh, have needed to heal from the trauma of that. Um, you know, I'm going to, that fear, but, you know, scare quotes, uh, the good news that if you don't make the right decision, you're going to spend the rest of your life in hell. And, um, you know, uh, can you just tell, okay, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I'm just thinking about how, like, that's kind of, (laughs) I want to say extreme, although maybe it's, maybe it's not that extreme. It's, I mean, we've heard a lot of those kind of stories, but you and I didn't grow up that what's, what's been your relationship to that our our podcast is still called Define the Relationship. So what's you been, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with, um, with that question? Yeah, I mean, like I don't think, I grew up in a context where that kind of messaging was given to me in an overt way on a, like, um, kind of on a regular basis. But that being said, I mean, there was an understanding that there was a place of heaven and there was a place called hell, and nobody was 
teaching from the pulpit or teaching in youth group or in Sunday school that there wasn't a decision that needed to be made and that there wasn't consequences for the decisions that we made. So um, it might have been, let's say the volume was turned down on the fire and brimstone and the hellfire and all this kind of stuff, but nobody was nobody was really calling into question that way of thinking. You know, it was kind of like it was a bit of an elephant in the room that wasn't being talked about. And then, you know, like I, I mean, I did go to a, an evangelical Bible camp in grade six and, uh, had a very charismatic counselor from California who was a surfer dude and who (laughs) had, you know, done drugs and alcohol and listened to rock and roll and, you know, um, had a big car crash in his Porsche that he, his parents' Porsche. And then, you know, he came back from the brink and, uh, you know, realized that his life was was going in the wrong direction. And so there was a pretty heavy, you know, at a very, you know, in grade six, you're pretty impressionable. And especially the surfer dude from Cal- Newport Beach, California was pretty impressive. You uh, wanted to be like him. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I got food poisoning at, uh, at <laughs> camp and that's all I could really think about after that. But uh, anyway, <laughs> maybe that was uh, my body being revulsed or repulsed, repulsed. by the... Uh, by that kind of teaching, but like, I think that like you can't explain away that type of thinking very easily. And I think this is a good topic to talk about because, um, especially thinking about it in the context of the last number of weeks, one of the, um, like we talked about the idea and I think you said this came out of Plato's thinking that, you know, the good is beauty truth and justice those were sort of three categories of mm-hmm. of the good and we uh we learned some awful truths a couple of weeks ago about our country and its policy of uh, residential schools with ind- indigenous people and the backdrop of assimilating indigenous people taking their language culture away from them taking their kids away from their communities and then churches Many churches who would espouse these kind of heaven and hell perspectives on life, um, basically, were trying to uh, to purge um, people's identity from them and give them a new identity, make them more Christian, make them more more white. And then we learned about these graves, these unmarked graves that were found in Kamloops, and. Uh, there was an unearthing and in of other places. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this was this is just yeah. You say it's just uh, it's just one example of many. Yeah. So there's some truth that was hidden that was starting to be become unhidden. It was like some people refer to it as an unveiling, and um, and then it raises the question of like, well, if the good is justice, well, what is justice for those 215 children? Who lost their lives? We don't know exactly what the what the story is, but we know that it was like most likely caused by their experience that they had. Um, so, questions of justice, questions of truth, <clears throat> and then questions of beauty. I mean, uh, what is more ugly? What is more ugly than a society that looks at people who have a history, a language? spiritual practices and a culture and you decide that you need to wipe that out because it's not the same as yours like that i I can't think of many 
more ugly pictures, you know. And so you could even say um, hell, <laughs> hellish, putting people yes. in hell. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Um, but I just just to circle back, I'm thinking like we sometimes because hell, the idea of hell as a place where people go eternally, is such a repulsive idea. We kind of reflexively or reactively, we say, like, well, I don't really believe in hell. Like, I don't believe there's a place where people go to experience eternal damnation. And that that may or may not be true. But one of the things that does get answered by the, if you make the wrong decisions or you make the wrong choices or you do the wrong thing, that there's some consequence for that, is that there's ample evidence that bad choices by people, bad choices by society have had hellish consequences for people personally, people collectively, and for our world. So um, I would like to th- us to think through, well, it's all good in the end, through the, through the lens of like, how does the broken, the ugly, the unjust the the lie yeah like evil how does that get restored resolved into the good because um of course we are called to live out the good and we're we're called to be a part of doing good um being good allowing the good to to be a reality and yet we also live with the reality that that is not something that has happened yet and so i I just I, i think that a conversation about how um, you know final judgment of the of the cosmos of creation and ideas of hell and heaven and stuff like that how they actually fit into a way of thinking about how does the good become restored so i don 't want us to sort of like uh, i don 't know um, just sort of put hell aside and say like i don 't really believe in that I think we um, we just need to sit a bit with people's experiences that have been living hells on earth um, to, and, and help come to grips with that. Um, so I, I think it's, yeah, I think it's helpful to not think about it as like, well, if you make the wrong decision, you're going to eternally be someplace that's bad. I think we need to think a bit about, well, how does the bad become redeemed and restored to become the good? And so I think talking about hell and heaven is actually one way of thinking about the future and how that and it actually relates to how we live ourselves live in the present like um so so take us through a little bit of yeah, a, yeah, a like, journey with this like this is such a this is such a big topic really and um we have talked about it in the past and we focused on things like you know what are the theories of of hell and final judgment and i don't want to really get into that very much there's there's three books that you could you could look at if you're interested in getting into this in a more fulsome way. Like the probably the easiest to access is uh, Rob Bell's famous Love Wins, which is a very easy book to read. Um, gets at some of these some of these issues. Uh, a much less easy book to read is uh, David Bentley Hart's recent book That All Shall Be Saved. Um, I think it's a incredible book and. Uh, and makes you know a really great, great argument for the um, the idea that if God is good, then um, you know 
to create beings where some are actually he's chosen that they are not going to end up in in the good graces of God eternally just is illogical and makes no sense. I mean, that's a oversimplification of his argument, but um, he's no lightweight and he uh, makes a very heavy, heavy um, in a good way. Biblical. Biblical, theological, philosophical, I mean, and uh, with, uh, yeah, with, with a bit of an edge too. <laughs> um, so, that's a much harder book to read, but if you're willing to wade through it, it's a, it's a good one. And then um, kind of one in the middle is Brad Jersek's book, which is, is already, you know, like over 10 years old, I think. It's called Her Gates Will Never Be Shut. And it's really great because Brad uh, does a comprehensive look at the biblical perspective on hell and heaven and final judgment and comes to a uh, conclusion that uh, we should not rule out ultimate redemption or ultimate salvation for all and so i mean these are these are the basis of where i think we are we come from in our perspective about final judgment is that uh, it seems illogical that god would create um billions and billions of people in history so that a select few would find eternal life with god because they said a prayer or made a choice, and the vast numbers of people from cultures and ethnicities and races and all times, like going back in history, that, that many of them would just end up being thrown onto the heap of fire, and not just on the heap of fire, but to eternally experience the conscious torment of being in hell. So, okay, so so what I want to introduce you to um, is a, it's a Greek word that is very significant in the Orthodox tradition. Um, a Greek word called I don't know. It's so hard to pronounce because there's so many syllables. Um, apokatastasis. 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 <laughs> and all that word means is the idea that in the end, the creation, which includes humans the environment, the whole cosmos, planets, atoms, everything, will be restored to its original condition. Or to put it in the language we've been talking about recently is restored to its goodness. And so, um, I mean, this is, a, this is a very strong theme that runs through the biblical tradition, the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, and the New Testament that uh, in the beginning, God created everything, and it was good. The goodness was just fundamental to what God created. And what God is doing is constantly bringing everything back to that. Yeah. To that goodness. Yeah, I mean, and that, I mean, that actually assumes that, you mean, it didn't stay good? Right. So, I mean, for whatever reason... Um, we personally become less than we were meant to be when we were created. Our world becomes less of what it was meant to be than when it was created. And, um, you know, again, another thing we, we don't like to talk about is talk about the idea of sin and sinfulness and whatever. But, I mean, um, personally, we sin. We make choices that bring about brokenness to ourselves and others. We are sinned against. People make choices and they break things that actually impact us. And 
This one, I mean, the third one is that we live in sinful structures, systems. I mean, racism, sexism, um, homophobism, you know, all the isms of the world, nationalism, fascisms, these are all like they're embedded not just in people's decisions, but actually in um, something much larger than just and then people. And, um, you know, so like, for example, we start talking about the Kamloops, 215 children that were unearthed. And, um, you know, that came out of us, a religious system that believed that because the people who were setting up these schools were Christian, they were given the blessing by God to bring people into the faith. And that meant not just inviting them to the good news of Jesus. It meant, you know, you have to get rid of those practices, those culture, that language. You know, you're, you're, basically the perspective was these people are savages, they need to be civilized. That was a systemic sin that was perpetrated on a whole group of people. And, and you know, we can't just sit back and say, yeah, that uh, Bishop Grandin, who um, we have a street named after in Winnipeg, who is a Catholic leader who is a part of instituting this system, yeah, yeah, that guy, he's a bad guy. He made some bad decisions. Like, it was so much bigger than that, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so I think it's so important. Like, I don't want don't to hang out here too long, but, you know, the goodness of the original creation has been hurt, broken, um, you know, distorted. Yeah, and evil really exists at every level, individual, communal, systemic. Like, there's this, the reality of the broken is, um, it's at every possible level. Yeah. And that, you know, we can call that sin. Yeah. And I think where the conversation about sin has gotten kind of off the rails is it gets, tends to get used by people as a way of controlling other people. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your sin, Darlene. Mm -hmm. I want to speak into your life and your brokenness and your bad choices. And so it's talked about from, from sort of like a power position. It's a power move. And I think that a much more helpful way to think about sin, brokenness, all these things, is to think about it from, let's ask ourselves questions. Let's, let's have the humility to say, hmm, you know, what is it inside of me that is, you know, trying to hold on to something that it might be doing damage to another person? Or what is it about the society that I live in and, and for many of us, we have to ask, like, well, we actually benefit from that society because we are people who have succeeded because of that society. Where peop- other people haven't succeeded, we have succeeded. And we have to say, like, well, is that just because I'm such a good person and I got such skills and I worked so hard? Or is there a recognition that things were tilted towards and, us? And would you would you say it's going too far to, to, in fact, say, what are the ways in which I benefit that, that have put other people in hell? Well, sure. I mean, that'd be one way to think about it. 
you know, like it's hard to, it's hard to see the connection directly, right? Because we tend to be stuck in our own bubbles and our own lives. And we think about, you know, we think about things much closer to our, to ourselves, but, you know, um, yeah, I mean, like, I think part of taking responsibility for things not being the way they're, they're meant to be means owning the whole and unearthing. So if you're thinking about the good is truth, truth is the good, then a search to unearth the truth is an important thing. And so when people are saying like, well, we need to unearth more um, residential school properties to find out if there's more unmarked graves and stuff like that, we shouldn't be saying things like, well, that's kind of costly, you know, and that's a lot of money. We should be saying, no, no, we need to find out we need to find out the extent to which our society that we are a part of and we benefit in, you know, if we're going to restore things to the good, we need to acknowledge what really happened and take responsibility for it. So, um, so yeah, so, um, so if apocatastasis is the idea that the restoration of, of the original condition of creation is the future reality, um, you know, that is basically a perspective that says that everything, all, will be saved, will be redeemed, be restored in the end. This is so important. Can you tell us um, about where this word and where this comes from and began? What if I don't know? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it's just the Greek word for a theological idea. And I mean, like the Orthodox Church, I mean, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, these were, these were more Eastern traditions. We tend to think of the traditional church as the Catholic Church, the Roman Church. That's more of a Western church. Mm-hmm. This was the Eastern Church. And um, they had a much stronger emphasis on the restoration of all yes and the western church was a bit more um i don't know what what the right word is is dualistic or maybe binary and it's sort of like well there's like the the in and the out you know the haves and the have-nots or whatever and if you believe the right things you're in i mean i think that was a a metaphor for the roman catholic church was the idea that the roman catholic church is like an ark like Noah's Ark, and if you're on the Ark, you're saved, and if you are not in the Ark, then you are drowning. You are, you are done for. So, um, and I think that predominantly in the Western Church, like the Catholic Church, and then after the Reformation, Calvin, Calvinists, and Lutherans, and all this, you know, all these groups, and then the Evangelical Conservative movement that grew up out of that. I mean, they've been in the dualistic kind of understanding of ultimate, dualistic understanding of redemption, that some will be redeemed and others won't be. And like in the most strict sort of hyper-Calvinism, the idea is that it's actually such a small group, and I don't know the exact number, it's 144,000, or there's some, some small number of people that are in the elect that will be and uh, nobody knows who they are, um, but most will, you know, it's like, I, I really have trouble, I really have trouble even like 
um, taking that kind of perspective seriously because it seems so absurd, you know? Mm-hmm. And the only way it can be made logical is to say that, well, God, that's what God's done. So if God's done it, it's logical. You know, it's kind of like... Uh, Anything that God's done is good. And so this kind of comes back to even if it looks like it's not good or if it sounds like it's not good, it has to be good because God is doing it. Yeah. And so basically what it ends up being is that, well, what is the good? It's sort of like, well, the good can be defined in any way. Yeah. So evil becomes, um, kind of named as good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm a bit more of like, I take the Shakespeare sort of perspective, which is a rose by any other name is still, it smells sweet. So it's like, you don't have to call it good. You just, good is, is a, an essential category. It's a fundamental reality and you, doesn't matter what you call it. It's reality is obvious. Yeah. So, okay. So, okay. So, um, I just feel like the reason why this whole thing, whole conversation about there's a need for restoration for things to be brought back to the original condition. I believe that if we're going to embrace a a perspective that everything is redeemed and restored, we still have to ask the question, okay, but what about the ugly the unjust and the lies, right? Like if it's beauty, truth, and justice, like how do you, how does that get, get dealt with? And I mean, yeah. So, so, I mean, I think it's really important that we take, take this, take seriously how the not good gets, how, what's the process of restoration? Like, is it as simple as just kind of in the end, you know, just, just to give kind of like a little bit of a thought experiment, you know, like I, I, uh, you know, I end up getting COVID and, you know, a month from now I die. And then I, I don't know, do we go to the pearly gates and do we see St. Peter? Is this just kind of like some of the, some of the narrative and, you know, uh, Peter shows me my life and, uh, yeah, you know, not a good decision. Didn't treat that person well. You know, there's all this Oh, you're part of a system that held people down. You know, the whole, you see the whole thing before you, all the not good. And then St. Peter says, yeah, but it's all good. (laughs) You know, like, like, is that the process? Mm. I mean, sometimes we think that, well, if you say the sinner's prayer, I mean, that's basically what is happening. You've, you're, you're good. And if you say the sinner's prayer with one second to go in your life, then you're good. It's all good. You can just sail on through. You can just sail on through. So, yeah, um, so there's a real question of accountability. What yeah. is, what is yeah. like, yeah. So, so how does the good, how does the good beauty, justice and truth, how does that work out? And I mean, I think, you know, scripturally just some, some things to throw out there, like in the old Testament, the prophet Micah says, well, what do you require of me, God? Or to put it in good language, what does the good require of me? And Micah says, um, you know, do do justice mm-hmm. love kindness and walk humbly with god so there's a there's a a sense of you know beauty truth and justice is the you know is is embedded in the life of good so do good you know um or in like galatians you know paul talks about like the fruits of the spirit so if you're in alignment with the good with god then these are the f- things that come from that. 
peace, patience, you know, um, I got two of the, (laughs) two of the nine off the top of my head, but there's these characteristics and virtues that actually flow out of, um, the goodness that we're being called into. So this is a way that restoration happens in the here and now. And then, um, again, Paul, like, teaches in Colossians 1, 15, which I, I, to me is one of my favorite scriptures because it talks about how, you know, because of Jesus, who holds everything together, all the broken parts of the universe are held together by, by Jesus. And Jesus is bringing these things together. And so there's a, a sense that, yeah, it's all going to get knit together and fitted together and brought back into... Um, you know, and so, but how does this happen? I, I, I was thinking about, um, um, you know, the question about, do you believe in hell? Is hell a real thing? And then, I mean, you brought this up already about thinking about how, well, what are some of the hells that maybe you've experienced mm-hmm. or caused mm-hmm. or taking in other people's re- recounting of the hells that they've experienced um, and learned about that. I mean, these are, these are real experiences of suffering and um, maybe it felt like torture in some cases for people, or actually some people have experienced torture in some, in some places. Um, so um, like we need to recognize, and this is a quote from Rob Bell. And I think it, in his love wins, he says, we need to recognize that with every action, comment, conversation, we have the choice to invite heaven or hell to earth. So there's a sense that heaven and hell are not elsewhere, but they're actually invitations to the present. Bringing about, so you could say, are you bringing about beauty, justice, and truth? Or are you, are you bringing about injustice and lies and ugliness? Um, and we also we think of we also think of like the other side is that heaven is up someplace elsewhere, but as Saint Belinda Carlisle <laughs> let us know back in the eighties, you know heaven is a place on earth, <laughs> right? Ooh, I really want to break out. You want to break out <laughs> in that, yeah? Um, but no, Revelation twenty one twenty two it talks about you know in the end it says there's going to be a new heaven, but there's a new earth. Like there's this kind of heaven coming down to earth. We pray the Lord's prayer. That on earth as it is in heaven, there is a connection between our lived reality and the reality of heaven and the goodness. And so this is not something that's just sort of like out there. Um, But I wanted to just mention this one thing about the whole hell piece. um, And is that there is a tradition in scripture and also in in the, the theological tradition about how there needs to be a curative process for us who have not been what we were meant to be or for our society that has not been what it's meant to be. And we sometimes think about, uh, there's a a doctrine in the Catholic Church of purgatory, the idea that when you die, um, you you don't go to a destination immediately, but there is a process and like purgatory is like kind of purging process where one kind of deals with the brokenness and 
um, go and, and so like one of the scriptures that kind of con- connects to this, and it's not that we do this as it's a punishment that we're being punished for our mistakes or our bad choices, but the idea is that there needs to be a refining process. Like a purifying. Purifying, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's actually interesting in First Corinthians 3, uh, in the message, it actually uses construction language. Um, in other translations, it talks about, you know, um, gold and silver and straw. And when you go through the refining fire, the things that aren't worth anything get destroyed. But the pure essence of what is good is left. It's like, um, you know, it's like, it's something being restored. Mm-hmm. Um, I like how in, in a way in the message, it kind of fits into our deconstruction, reconstruction thing. It's sort of saying that we need to go through a deconstruction process ultimately so that we can be restored to what is foundational about who we are. Um, so to put it another way, Paul says, you are God's house. Using the gift God gave me as a good architect, I designed blueprints uh, sorry. So let each carpenter who comes on the job take care to build on the foundation. Remember, there's only one foundation, Jesus Christ. Take particular care in picking out your building materials. Eventually, going to be, there's going to be an inspection. Hmm. If you use cheap or inferior materials, you'll be found out. The inspection will be thorough and rigorous. You won't get by with a thing. If your work passes inspection, fine. If it doesn't, your part of the building will be torn out and started over. Hey, deconstruction, reconstruction, but you won't be torn out. You'll survive. And he says, but just barely. (laughs) But it's like, you won't be destroyed. You will be refined to who you really are, you know? Um, And And I'm guessing that that process might not be very comfortable. (laughs) No. It wouldn't, and one can, I mean, that may, that's one way of thinking about it, but I think about it from, if you think about it from the context of, will justice be served? Will justice happening? Justice is about fairness. Justice is about getting what you deserve, right? Not, um... And injustice is unfairness. And so any process that takes seriously unfairness and helps somebody go through the recognition of the fact that they were a part of unfairness or they made decisions that were, you know, that caused injustice, you know, that's not, that's not just a, a negative thing. It's actually a process of restoring a person to what it was meant to be. And so there's, there's healing in that. Like, um, the word that gets used is that it's a curative process. It's not a punishment process. We tend to think about it like, well, you know, if you do the wrong thing, you get punished, you get thrown in jail, you get thrown into hell and you have to live with it. And obviously if that's eternal, that's a long time. And we don't want to experience that, but I think sometimes we, we want that for others, you know, like, um, yes. even to bring it back to the, to the recent uncovering of, uh, the indigenous children and their bodies. I think 
we don't want to see the people who perpetrated those things just get off. Like, what, are they just going to sail through? Like, what's the accounting for, for people who have, who have done this extreme evil? Right. And, and that too is this sense of, you know, if, if purgatory is a, a real thing in, in some form, then, then it's that we all will have to look fully into um, the face of what we have been a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it can't. It can't. That stuff can't go into heaven. That like the kingdom of God is not like you know Hitler's not going to be walking around as Hitler. <laughs> In the kingdom of God. With swastikas on his arm and uh, with yeah. his, his arm outstretched. Because the that king, doesn't belong. If, right, it doesn't belong. So there would have to be a refining, a, re, a yep. restoring even yep. of the most evil mm-hmm. in others and are also in ourselves. Yeah. Now that's a hard thing for some of us because it's hard for us to even acknowledge the humanity of some of the perpetrators of the worst evil in our in our history right and so hitler is kind of the poster child of of that for people of our time because we still have a a memory of that it also though i mean i think that's kind of again you're thinking of the ultimate thing but sometimes i think that part of our way through some of these difficult unveilings that we learn about that we weren't necessarily personally involved with part of help being going through the process of of dealing with that in a with authenticity and integrity is to to walk some of the purging and some of the refining process and and um you know, like I've really appreciated in relationship to the Kamloops, two, 215 children. I mean, people saying things like, we didn't just lose children. This is in the two children that died. These are people that would have been elders right now. So they lost leadership. They lost people of their community who would have contributed to the community. And um, people are people from the indigenous community are reminding us of something fuller than just somebody who died, you know, and not to mention the energy and the weight of a society that is trying to basically get rid of a people. And something that has kind of struck me, I hope I'm not going off target here, but, um, in the last couple of days, yesterday, I listened to a um, a speech by uh, an MP in Nunavut, an Indigenous woman. Um, very powerful kind of um, telling of how she continues, not past, continues to be... Um, set aside and Mm. not, um, treated properly. Uh, so she sometimes spoke with a lot of passion about what is wrong right now. Mm. 
continuing in the House of Commons, in the institution, Mm -hmm. in the system. Mm -hmm. But it also, she, she was speaking of this hope of restoration and Mm. this, um, you know, it just, it struck me how there was a deep also sense of we can, we can move from, from this place of hell to a place of restoration. Mm -hmm. We, we can, we have, we can participate in this. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought that was so like, ah, beautiful that, that these people that have been oppressed the most still still want to work together uh, to bring about beauty, truth, and justice. And then I was in another meeting, also another Indigenous person of faith uh, in in this particular setting. It was a person of faith, and just kind of, um, I'm always surprised by the 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 drum of hope that continues to be beat by the people who have been on the receiving end of um, injustice. And it was just a reminder to me that I can participate. You know, I don't want to just, I can, I should be angry. I should be dismayed. Um, but they are still, uh, speaking words of truth, beauty, and justice. Mm -hmm. And so they are caught. They're the ones that are calling us to this kingdom, to the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if that's part of this, like here and not yet. And like the interaction of, of this and how often the people that are most oppressed are, are, calling us, continuing to call us to, to the hope of working together. Yeah. Like, I think that's a, like that to me, that is such a powerful testimony to the reality of ultimate restoration is that those who are the victims of the worst, you know, systemic evils and personal experiences of being cast aside or, you know, um, experiencing the hells that we talked about, that those are the people that are the beacon of hope and light and calling us to something better. You know, they're not the ones rejecting that possibility and saying, no, it's not even possible. Just look at me. I've, I've experienced this. It's not even possible. They're actually out of that experience is a strong, a strong um, pull to uh, to the better to yeah. the good and and this is i mean like this is like again a really strong through line in um in the scriptural kind of story is that that uh you know the low will be brought up and the the powerful will be brought down you know there'll be lev- great levelings and there'll be restoration of equality and restoration of enough and even even the high being brought low is uh where did i read about this recently just is not about punishment it's not like i'm going to bring the rich down and we're going to like reverse like we're going to oppress them it's in god's perspective in 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 
in, in a good God, the high being brought low is also to care for, to tend, to restore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so sometimes we think of, in my mind, it's been easy to think of like, you know, they're going to not have, so they're going to get there. Like it's still with a, in my own human heart, it's like, uh, you're going to get it. You know, you're going <laughs> to, they're event. It's like a, a vengeful thing. But I think, um, in the mind of God, anything, any movement is, is purely about love and full restoration. That's kind of, yeah. that's kind of a different way of looking yeah, at it. Yeah, like it kind of brings me back to like a quote I had right at the beginning of my, of my notes, um, from, from an Orthodox, um, leader, um, Al Kimmel. Uh, he has a, he has a, a blog called uh, Eclectic Orthodoxy and is a is a major proponent of apocatastasis. Apocatastasis. <laughs> Try saying that a, ten times. Apocatastasis. Yeah, it's a very. My first name is Greek, but I'm not very good at pronouncing these Greek words. Um, uh, says this, and um, there's one other word in there that needs to be explained, but apocatastasis is. The gospel of Christ's absolute and unconditional love sung in an eschatological key. I mean, eschatological just means the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we, we, we're comfortable talking about the love of God and God's love and God loves everyone and, you know, um, we're worthy of God's love. And we think about it in very personal ways, which is not a bad way, but... This ultimate redemption is a recognition that that love encompasses everything and that (laughs) the restoration of all is actually the song of Christ loving the whole world, you know. And um, I just think that it's, uh, it's, it's the way to think about how we move in this world is that everything is meant to be brought back together. The more we think about, well, in the end, things are just going to be separated and, and it just allows us to separate now. Mm, That's (laughs) a powerful way of saying it. Yeah. And so what, if it's going to be all good in the end, um, that should actually circle back into our present and we should be about, being, doing, living, experiencing the good right now. I think people are sometimes afraid that if all is good, that there's like kind of a nonchalant, like, Hey, uh, it doesn't, nothing matters. Like it's all good, (laughs) you know? Um, which I think this is, is, is so not that it's, it's a it's a profound faithfulness i think to the to the text to the to the story of god and it is it puts a lot on it puts a lot on us i'm not talking about like we have to we have to do it but i'm I, it puts a lot on humanity to to be about the, that high a vision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This isn't about 
nothing really matters because it's all going to sort of take care of itself. It means holding this, this life and this world and this participation with deep care, Mm -hmm. uh, because that's how we connect to the kingdom of God. Yeah. And if we don't participate in it, we can decide that we don't want to participate in it. And in fact, after we die, we can decide that we don't want to participate in it too. Yeah. I mean, it's, like there's no easy button yeah in this in this way of thinking about it and i mean there's some different authors like it's kind of interesting to say like uh i think i think it was c.s lewis who talked about the way some people live their lives i mean they will be very uncomfortable in heaven kind of it's like Mm -hmm. like life could be a preparation for living in a reality that's good and if you don't live in that reality now, you might feel quite uncomfortable. Like C.S. Lewis has that beautiful story mm-hmm. of the banquet and that, you know, well, heaven is, heaven is a banquet and hell is a banquet too. You know, it's a, he has a story of like everybody's around a table and their arms are utensils. And in their he- arms have extensions. Yeah. And, and, and so you can't eat your own food with your own utensils you have to so in hell everybody's miserable because they're trying to eat their own food and they can't they can't get it to their mouth and mouths. in heaven it's the same people with the same extensions but they're feeding each other and they're having a beautiful time so there's this yeah it's the same reality and um so yeah there this there's work to do in this you know i mean some people some people say like well how do you invite people to the good news if there isn't some kind of catastrophic consequence that they're they're trying to avoid like there's this no there's no um uh kind of what's the word um when you're wanting to do something quickly urgency there's no urgency to bring people to the goodness of god if there isn't some catastrophe on the other end and it's kind of like is that a like a lack of imagination that Yes. That, that <laughs> I think yes. I think that that it's they just can't imagine um, being motivated by anything other than punishment. Yeah. What is like that is that's I'm, deep. I mean, I like I don't in I'm, the psyche. Like, of a, if you just wait until kind of like the decisions to 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 get a vaccination in our reality right now. I mean, there's like there there's a lottery option now that we have in our province to. Um, if you get the vaccine, then you might win some money. And that might motivate some people, but that is like a really low-level motivation. I think the bulk of people, the lottery that you're, like the lottery that most people have won is the day they become eligible to get the vaccine. That's the day they win the lottery. And you see this in people. They are lining up to get doses because they are so wanting they imagine how things will be different when we have a society that is protected from this pandemic and that's a higher level of engagement in the decision to do this and then other people are saying i'm doing it because of my parents like you know the like some people are saying well i know i can travel to europe that's their first thing other people are saying now i can go to my mom and dad's and i can visit my parents like um like one can imagine the good without the tidal wave of the bad about to wash us out. You know, I think, uh, 
And, and, and this, and like you said about the story of people who've experienced this oppression and yet they're calling and they're, they're beacons of hope. That's, that shows just the imagination that those people have, that there's something better is, is something that is to be sought after. And their response isn't to want to in turn wipe out the other people. Yeah. Yeah. Because they know at a core level that that is to actually not experience the good. Yeah. It's only good if it's all, if it's experienced by everyone. So. Thanks for leading us in that. Did do you have any final words? No, I think, uh, no, I think that was, that was good. It was all good. <laughs> it's all good guys. <laughs> So thanks for joining us again. If you want to, uh, do some further reading, I know there's some good articles out there, but if you have some input or have further questions about this or want to process this further, just fire us a message and, uh, yeah. Hope you have a good day. Bye-bye.